Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about A Plague Tale, Innocence. Developed by Asobo Studio and published by Focus Home Interactive, it was released for Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One in May of 2019. And we'll be talking spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. Uh, you know, Clint, you you recommended this game to me, and I have to thank you for it. I had a great time with it. Yeah, I, honestly, I'd been, you know, toying around with the possibly playing this game. I've seen it around, didn't know a whole much. I mean, I didn't know almost anything about it. I didn't know if it was historical fiction or if it was to be taken seriously or what the deal was. But I've been playing a ton of chivalry lately, and that <laughs> really was getting uh, getting the itch going for more medieval games. And I wasn't ready to play uh, Kingdom Come again because that would have been sixty hours of my life I'd never get back. <laughs> so I was like, "Hey, this this is about that sign that that same time period. I should check it out." And I'm really glad I did. I gotta say, I I really like got the final push to play this game because it showed up on Xbox Game Pass for PC, and I was a subscriber, uh, so I just played it for free. Best deal in games. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got it for free too. It was the free game on PS Plus uh, a couple months ago. I'd already bought it for for a PC a long time ago when it was on sale. I have a problem. I buy games when they're on sale. I'm like, I will play this later. And then I never get back to them. So I ended up playing it eventually, <laughs> but I got it for free when I did. Hey, I mean, I'm glad one way or another, we got to play this game because I think it's really interesting. I think it's a really nice counterpoint to a lot of the like third person stealth action games that we're seeing that are sort of the world beater series that you think of when you think of this genre. You're, um, the Last of Us, your Assassin's Creed, your Uncharted series. Um, but this is, I think, a nice counterpoint to all of those games and definitely one that should be held in the same sort of conversation, but maybe for very different reasons. Yeah, this is like a total counterpoint to all those games, and we'll probably get into this more, but those games are a lot about combat, and this game is a lot about none of that. In fact, I think one of the most important things and most interesting things about this game is that you're always underpowered in this game. Mm-hmm. You can... Uh, put up a little bit of a fight, but mainly you're reacting to the world around you and not imposing your will upon it. Yeah, you you definitely start off initially extremely underpowered, and it's way more about the constraints placed upon you by the characters, their relationships, and how they you know navigate the world together than it is about the your ability to inflict your will upon the world, as you you pretty well put it, Clint. That's like kind of the opposite of what we're going for here. We're talking about surviving in a world where there are forces in play that are out of your control, like wars or pandemics. Yeah, and again, I think it plays to some of the reality of, of the story, too. You're playing as, I don't know how old she was, but I would say 15. probably, what, 15-year-old? Okay, I was going to say 16. Yes, so a, a young young adult and her, I would say, 10-year-old brother, right? Like, you're just a couple kids in some of the worst times in human history. Yeah, let's let's maybe just set the game up and then we can talk about like the interesting thing about that perspective and, and the perspective of the people that produced it. So yeah, as you mentioned, you're a 15 year old sort of young noble, a teenager, uh, Amicia Darun. Uh, her family's home is div- invaded by the um, Inquisition actually during the Hundred Years War. So there's sort of two different uh, antagonist, antagonistic forces going on here. The Inquisition, who is uh, ravaging France as sort of a force of the Catholic Church, uh, and also the English army, who is invading as part of the Hundred Years' War on France. So a lot of uh, larger-than-life forces at play, not to mention the 
Black Death, which is uh, a plague slowly but surely gripping all of Europe's. Uh, look it up if you haven't heard of it. Um, <laughs> killed about 30% of the human race. Uh, yeah, it's or- <laughs> a giant trifecta of bullshit going on, and you're just <laughs> you're just a kid trying to make it out. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, and I think um, we get this type of perspective when we go out of sort of um, the big studios. Like, this isn't made by an Ubisoft. This isn't made by uh, Bethesda. This is a Sobo studio. They're a French video game studio. They started off small in the mid-2000s, and they've sort of worked their way up to being able to be in this sort of AAA uh, group. I don't know a ton about this studio, but I thought it was really interesting that they started small, and they're telling a story about uh, small people, right? This is a story about the little guy. I'm actually kind of glad they did this. If this was an Ubisoft or, or somebody else, they would have tried to have done this on a grand scale. And on the counterpoint to that, they took a small thing and they, what little they show you, they do very detailed and very bespoke. Like it, it's very meaningful and, and very impactful. You're absolutely right. And you know, if this game was made by Ubisoft, they wouldn't have been able to resist putting like some large scale historical figure in this, like King Edward would have been in it, you know, um, some major figure in the Catholic Church would have been in it, some Pope or something like that. But they kept all of the major characters in this um, as sort of historical analogs, unnamed characters, or at least, you know, they're fictional, they're historical fiction characters, not necessarily real life you know, you're not running into Da Vinci in this game. No, this was all about setting and not so much about personalities. In fact, I, I think that was just almost like a just a backdrop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting point about that is like, despite being made by a French studio, there's not really like patriotism or nationalism here, right? Like the French and the English armies are both depicted as bastards who are going to kill you <laughs> you know yeah everyone's a bastard <laughs> yeah it, it and basically like it it makes sense because right for everyone who wasn't a mover and shaker of history during this period life sucked and this is depicting that very accurately like life sucks in a plague tale innocence yeah and not to get off topic here but i believe asobo is who just created microsoft flight simulator by the way so they they just did something rather large, and I think that that is introing their whole relationship with Microsoft. I think what we're seeing here is going to be a, a core franchise for Microsoft in the future, too. I think the, the new one is going to be Xbox exclusive. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. This might be, like we were talking earlier before the cast, this might be one of Microsoft's new flagship uh, you know, genres here. Yeah, and I'm here for it. Like I think this is... Uh... Uh, this is a cool game Uh, it definitely like has enough um you know triple a game dna to like make it parsable to uh the people that would buy an uncharted or an assassin's creed but i think it's doing something very different from that and i and i i applaud it for it um to your point though they didn't come out of nowhere right they've had big uh big name deals with uh disney before they've made adaptations of um you know disney films and that just looking at their like the um their list of games created um so this is definitely a studio that sort of proved itself and now getting a chance on a, an IP for a big name publisher, you know, uh, platform holder, Microsoft. Uh, they they have arrived here. And, you know, now they've made this, they got the sequel coming. I think we're we're in for a bit of a, a run with these folks, hopefully. Yep, they got my attention for sure. Agreed. So maybe we talk a bit about the game now, yeah? Sure. All right. So we set up the story uh, real quick, but I think it's interesting to note that despite the fact that we're doing sort of a historical fiction thing here, there's a little bit more going on than just what's uh, on the pages of your history books with regards to the Black Death and the Hundred Years' War. There's like a large 
uh, flavor of alchemy and like hidden knowledge or lost knowledge going on here, right? You're um, frequently interacting with uh, alchemists or people who claim to practice alchemy and you're getting abilities that sort of correspond to that. I find this interesting. It's a lesser traveled trope nowadays. You know, the age of the Da Vinci Code is officially behind us. I declare it so. Um, so this is now uh, what is old is new again. <laughs> yeah, and there was a tinge of uh, supernaturalism to the whole uh, rat plague as well, which I had no idea whether I should expect that kind of thing or not. Again, when I went into this, I was going in with almost no information, so I didn't know if this was going to be true to history, which it wasn't quite. It kind of used the setting but then took liberties with it, but not in any kind of crazy way that I think took the meaning out of it or anything. Yeah, and while the, the alchemy thing definitely served to, like, you know, add a bit of gaminess and, um, you know, unexpected events to what may have otherwise been, um, you know, strictly medieval uh, type of gameplay, I think the, the bigger thing here that kept my attention was all of the characters and, and their relationships, right? So Amicia, your teenage protagonist, we've already talked about, but the other sort of main character, her brother Hugo, is sort of the the focus point of that supernatural stuff you were talking about. He is, uh, you know, constantly attended to by his mother because he's sickly. And you find out the reason for that sickness much later in the game. But let's just say it's not a normal illness. No. And I do like, too, that there wasn't, like, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Amicia and Hugo were going to be, like, best friends. In fact, they, because of the nature of Hugo's past, like, they just didn't interact much and at the beginning, he's like a total burden to Amicia. Um, but as, as you continue on, the family ties grow. He becomes more of a, you know, a contributor. And, and they, they, they each find their own strengths and how to help each other, which was a nice thing. That was honestly the start of the show for me. It wasn't so much what was going on. Like, what's going on is horrific. All of it's horrific. <laughs> we talked earlier, the trifecta of bullshit, the, the, the pandemic. <laughs> the, war, the pandemic. Yeah, yeah all, all that shit is going on around them. And they're just finding a way to deal by helping each other and learning to love each other and and get each other through that, which was the main reason I kept going through the game. Agreed. Yeah, it's a story of like family and trust. And all of the, you would think all of the biggest problems that this uh, this duo would face would come out of the fact that they're going up against two armies simultaneously and a plague. But it's really the, you know, the most dire situations are when they have miscommunications or are unable to sort of work together to solve the problem at hand. You know, when Hugo runs off or when Amicia gets pissed off at him or something like that. Um, that's when you feel like things are falling apart the most. And I think given the scale of all the stuff that's going on in this game, um, being able to uh, portray a lack of trust is a huge issue is admirable so uh you're absolutely right on that front they they definitely made you care about the characters and their relationships yeah i mean there, there were levels where and, and i've seen this in games but not to this level but like you see the aftermath of a battle i think it was uh, between the english and the french in the hundred years war there were just mountains of bodies everywhere like it was disgusting like you get desensitized by this kind of shit yeah in this game you do but in, in this game, like, they, like, really hammered home, like, this is this is the cost of human tragedy. This is what really happened. There's not a couple of bodies sitting around. Like, this is mass death and destruction. And, again, the focus was still, in the face of all that, family. Yeah, I think this is, um, and we're going to go into spoilers here, you know, if we not haven't already, so just your final warning. But I think the, 
this game had such big Game of Thrones season one vibes with me going through the whole thing with the whole family dying right off the bat. You know, you come back from a hunting trip with your father, the invading armies at the gates, he gets killed. Your mother presumably gets killed immediately afterwards. And it's just you and the brother out on the road trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, it immediately sort of endears you to these two characters, and I think that was such a masterstroke. And then slowly you put together this additional cast with, you know, Lucas, the boy genius alchemist, who's going to teach you all of those uh, things. Melee and Arthur, um, the stealthy thief and her, you know, sort of uh, craftsman you know, sneaky also brother. And then Roderick, the strong boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the blacksmith's boy yeah 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 so you know you get this kind of little crew of of people and eventually you sort of get a little home base too and i think it's really it's nice it's almost like medieval mass effect a young adult novel version yeah yeah i really like the focus on the team i guess i kept talking about family but it's not just family it's it's family and friends like and found family yeah, all these people are without their family because, again, everyone around them is dying and the world is falling apart. But these people who have been displaced are finding each other and finding a way to create family again and move forward. And that was super cool. I really like that part of the story. Yeah, you find they sort of find and build a, a you know found family, a community. And then, uh, weirdly enough, simultaneously as all of this stuff is going on, you have... Amicia's personal journey in and Hugo's for for the same on the same way of sort of going from um, being pretty innocent, you know, Amicia shooting apples off a tree with her father to, you know, slinging the stone into the forehead of her first soldier and killing him, and that's like a huge moment in the game. You know, it's sort of a, a like a, a mic drop, bass drop moment, and everything changes. Yeah, I wasn't sure they were ever going to actually let you kill, uh, like. I have Amicia actually be able to kill somebody, but I, I guess I should say like most of this is about stealth. Most of this is not about being strong enough to take things on. Most of it's about finding other ways to deal with it. Puzzles, stealth, never about being strong enough to take on anything more than a single enemy at a time, pretty much. There is a moment in this game that I really love, and I don't know if everyone, you know, even, I don't know if anyone even clocks this moment, but when you're going through the church right after your battle with the first boss, Conrad, the big armored knight, right? Oh, Who, yep. Whose yep. family's killed in the war by the by the plague or something. Um, it's not important. He wants to kill you, and you take him out. Um, and in the church, there's an axe next to some flowers, and you're sneaking through this church trying to escape town. And Hugo takes the flower and gives it to Amicia, and both of them ignore the axe. And <laughs> I, I, I didn't was, notice that. <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, oh, okay. This isn't that kind of game. Um, so... I don't, I don't know if you remember that, but it was in the middle of a courtyard, um, and the axe was just sitting there, and both of them ignored it. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, in reality, would it have mattered? A 15-year-old girl with an axe up against, you know, armor-plated badasses? No. We've seen crazier things in video games. So. Yeah, again, I just like that it's, despite some of its uh, dipping its toe into, like, supernatural stuff, to the characters, it remained true. Like, they are not badass killers they're just a couple kids trying to find their way through and it stayed true to that throughout the entire game except for maybe in the last 30 seconds of the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, we should talk about some of the the shark jumping moments at the end of this game but i do think just there, at the end yeah there there are some like flashes of this earlier in the game like i remember in like the escape from the military base where you're you know feverishly defending hugo as you fight your way out of a military encampment where 
um, there's flashes of like Amicia going into complete psycho mode and just murking, well, at least my Amicia, murking a bunch of um, soldiers with her sling. Um, l- oh, no, me- I did that too. Once I found <laughs> out I could take them out, I was tired of the stealth. I'm like, fuck you guys. I'm going to kill every last one of these guys. Yeah, the, the game doesn't often give you that at your disposal, but if you find a bunch of guys with their helmets off and um, you've got a bunch of rocks at your disposal, she can be very effective. And um, maybe it's worth talking about sort of the mechanics you have at your disposal at this time, but um, you, you, the game does make a pivot at some point to you having options aside from just stealthing past enemies. You can either uh, look to distract them, look to focus rats upon them, or you can look to just take them out with a sling, like David and Goliath style. You are always the David in this story, right? Like, if they reach you, you're done. There's no, like, health meter in this game. No, it's immediate death. Mm-hmm. I do have to say the rats were my favorite tool uh, <laughs> of, of just like watching them get completely swarmed. This reminded me a lot of, uh, remember Dishonored? Mm-hmm. There was a rat plague in that game too, and I believe you could use uh, rat swarms to take on enemies. No, you're, you're right. That was really cool. And uh, it was a, a power you could unlock with one of the characters, and, and I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, so the rats in this game to me were like basically a force of nature. Like you directed them kind of like you would direct a fire. Um, And the interesting thing about them is I feel like they were a symbol of the Black Death in this game. Like, it's very hard to depict a pandemic in this game, right? So, um, although I think we're going to see a lot of attempts in the coming years to depict a pandemic in a video game. Um, But you sort of use the rats as uh, a miasma you can spread from place to place via either extinguishing light or redirecting them via using light or later in the game using uh, the big spoiler of the game, Hugo's hidden power, which is his ability through his blood to direct the rats. Yeah, I, and I think this had a lot to do with not just combat, but it was, this was a lot of the puzzles at the beginning of the game, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Being able to, to find your way through, direct them one way while you take on a certain task, and then shuffling them back so you can do the next thing. And then, yeah, as you become more proficient with it, you can start to use it in combat, and then it becomes part of the story as well. Yeah, I, I really like how there's that interaction between the story and the gameplay. Like, your ability to control the rats is directly correspondent to how much of the the game's plot has advanced with regards to Hugo's advancement of his illness aka his you know his powers on a technical level the 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 rat swarms are pretty impressive too like it never felt like these were just giant um monolithic things like somehow they still made it feel like there were a thousand individual rats on I mean sometimes there'd be thousands and thousands and they still felt like a bunch of individuals this was very cool I don't know how they managed to to pull that off on PS4 hardware, but it looks good and it played well. Yeah, I read a little thing about this. Um, apparently, they can they can get up to five thousand rats to appear simultaneously, and the the way they did this was they animated it in four different layers. The furthest away from the player being sort of a, a mesh that just sort of underlaid all of the others, and the closest being animated in distinct detail, and they sort of gradiated it beyond that. Um, if you think about it, like I, I think of this in the way that like Dark Souls characters lose frames the further away you get from them, um, in terms of how they're animated. I'm imagining this is similar to how they did the rats in this game. So you're you're right; it is like an overwhelming number of creatures. Like 
how many times have you seen 5,000 rats at once? Um, uh, ne- never. And I hope that <laughs> is never a thing, but yeah, it is a, I'm sure it is the trick of the hardware. Cause I know it can't handle that kind of stuff and maintain frames, which this game did, but it does a very good, uh, trick of the light to make you draw your eye towards the thing that is animated the best. Cause this looked amazing. Yeah, it really did. And, um, Aside from, you, you know, your weapons, aside from just being rats and the direction thereof, you also have, uh, as we mentioned above, Amicia's Sling, which we haven't mentioned yet, has multiple ammo types that you can use to uh, affect sort of the various elements in play on the battlefield. Um, everything from the Ignifer uh, bullet that lights torches to Devorantis, which melts metal, very useful against helmed enemies, Extinguish, excuse me, Extinguis, which allows you to uh, get rid of flames and torches, and Odorus, which is sort of the stink bomb that draws rats. Yeah, and you kind of talked about that moment earlier that we both had where we just kind of went ham and we realized, oh shit, we can kill these guys, and we just kind of went to town. Yeah, like right after that, they're like, ah, but they're wearing helmets now, so deal with that. <laughs> yeah, so they almost like pump the brakes on you immediately because I think they think everybody's going to take that opportunity to, to try to be a badass, which we all did, I guess, and then just say, nope, that's not what this game is about. Let's let's move that back a bit. The game's called Plague Tale Innocence. Clearly, it's about a loss of innocence, right? But I think side by side with that is the story of an escalation of force, right? You know, you get uh, rocks, so they get helmets. Then you get the metal thing, so they get torches, which keep them from being killed by rats once they have the torches. And there's just, you know, this never-ending sort of list of things that the enemies protect themselves with, then you tear it down, then they protect it with something else, and so on and so forth, and eventually it just evolves into killing. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end, you're throwing tornadoes of rats against your foes. <laughs> I mean, of co- I don't know how else this was supposed to end. That's clearly where this goes. <laughs> I will say that they did a very good job of... The enemies were always extremely dangerous. You never felt like you were in control of the situation, and the villains that they... Um, like, like the main villain, villains, like what is it? The bosses, yeah. Nicholas and v- yeah, Vitalis, yeah. Nicholas, the head of the Inquisitors, and Vitalis, the sort of bishop. Yeah, the psycho pope. Yeah, psycho those. Pope, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they did a really good job with those characters too. Like they felt like very strong characters. Obviously, not based on hi- historical people, but just very well done and very imposing. And and they 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 kept the pressure on, which I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. This this game has sort of a, a nice progression of evils or antagonists that you're going up, going up against. Initially with the, you know, the initial escape, you're just trying to figure out where you land in the world and you get basically just shol- soldiers antagonizing you. And that's where you meet Conrad, your first boss, which you talked about earlier. And then Nicholas, the Grand Inquisitor, sort of becomes the main antagonist for most of the rest of the game. And this culminates with an epic boss battle against him at your... Uh, your citadel which i really liked uh what did you think of that boss battle i hate to say it but i'm forgetting that one in lieu of the vitalis one right now i mean that's definitely the more crazy one for sure but the one that oh no 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 i remember now with the rats you basically have to use the rats against him yeah he like sets himself on fire multiple times during it (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i'm remembering that now sorry i was 
I was just, you were talking about rat tornadoes and it's hard to get that, <laughs> that visual out of your mind. No, it's, it's true. Um, because that's the, the final battle of the game against Vitalis is definitely, I think like the biggest set piece battle in the game. Um, I, I thought it was less satisfying mechanically than, um, the Nicholas battle, the Nicholas battle to me worked really well because it was you and Hugo, you know, the, the, the original duo doing your thing, hiding, um, you know, waiting until you got the right moment to strike and then using the rats, your newfound power to, to take him down. Um, it was a really satisfying battle. Agree. It was the ultimate in using the verbs that you'd had the whole game. But then there was one guy left and like, well, shit, you already like mastered everything we already gave you. So we're going to give you something stupid now to take <laughs> out this guy. <laughs> Let's right. escalate this. Yeah. And, and it escalated it was because in the final chapter of this game, you see Hugo basically being able to not just direct rats to like a certain location as he's been able to do in the past. But he basically can turn rats into like a cyclone tornado of rats and send them at his enemies, which is very satisfying, but it's also completely bonkers. And of course, uh, Psycho Pope has stolen that power from you as well, so you're having competing tornadoes of rats <laughs> pulling it's up like, against each other, obviously. It, yeah, it's like the Dragon Ball Z Kamehameha moment of rats, <laughs> which is, you know, it it's definitely a striking visual image but you know it was was a cool boss battle i gotta i gotta admit did it fit with the tone of the rest of the game maybe not i know i almost disagree because this is one of those games where like it slowly but surely introduces these concepts and things to you that like it didn't seem weird to me even though now that i'm saying it in light of the fact that we called this historical fiction about 20 minutes ago is completely batshit yeah, they're 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 boiling the frog here. Like you, you don't notice it when you're in it, but if you if you looked at point A and you looked at point Z, you'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of like the magic of this game, right? Like it it brought you along for the ride really effectively by sort of like almost like backgrounding the mechanical escalation that's going on. You know, going from sneaking around in alleyways to uh, throwing flaming slingshots at people. Um, and foregrounding the relationship uh, advancements that are happening at the same time. And uh, honestly, like you're, you're interested in both of those things, but one of them is much easier to relate to than the other. And the other being the mechanical advancement is just sort of a video game thing, which, you know, if you played enough of these games, you kind of take for granted. Yeah. Again, the star was the, both the setting and then the, the family ties, I think. You're right. Everything else was just an excuse to be there. Yeah, it's it's a really nice sleight of hand that they, they pulled. And, you know, I'm interested to see where they take this story from here. Like, is it going to get more supernatural? You know, take the um, Assassin's Creed sort of, you know, now we're all living in the past or the future of the Atlanteans or something like that. Or are they going to, like, maybe try and ground it once more or continue to at least ground it in these characters, which I think is, you know, the way I think I'd rather see it go. I think they have to bring it, put put it back in the bottle a little bit because you can't pick up from where it ended and have the same kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, Assassin's Creed did, and it's just sort of slowly turned into, uh, you know, it, it's turned into like mythological history rather than historical fiction, right? Yeah, but the, the way they've done that is by not focusing on the same character from game to game they can be like, ah, screw it. All right, we we went way too far out with this. I mean, the biggest one we ever saw without Ezio got three games, I think. I don't think any character has gotten two games in a row since. 
right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And and I think that's maybe maybe the difference they're going for here. And I do think like the fact that the game's premise sits a little bit more in the the grounded, you know, on the ground view rather than the the great man of history view, like, you know, Ezio being friends with you know, Da Vinci again, like is what I always, or, you know, whoever the guy in Assassin's Creed 3 being like acquainted with Ben Franklin and George Washington, like, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, again, these games all provide something cool. Like, I feel like that game is like, here's a cool action game and you can learn a little bit about history while you're here. And I feel like this game was the opposite. Like, here's here's a really important part of history that we'd like you to experience a slice of. And then, Oh, there's also these characters in it. Like, yeah. it was like what, the same what if thing. there was some crazy stuff like this going on in there? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a way to, it's a way to like characterize an age by using cool video game ideas to keep a player um, moving through the world and in, in interesting ways. And I got to be honest, uh, there is a huge gap in games that cover this kind of time period as I found out. So again, I was playing a bunch of chivalry, which I enjoyed a lot. And I went out looking like, hey, what other games cover this kind of time period? And there's a lot of like RTS style games. But the the bad thing about RTS style games, at least for me, if you're trying to experience something like heartfelt, that's like big high up level. It's really easy to separate yourself from, from what's happening. This is very personal. Actually, this game is extremely personal. Um, the only other game I could find that was on this level would have been uh, Kingdom Come, which I, which I played... Uh, I think Kingdom Come is like the decade after this game, um, and that that was what three or four years ago. I played the crap out of that game. It was a super super buggy, but but really interesting. I, I love this time period. But uh, I remember you liking that game a lot, and I tried to play it, and I got out of the first chapter, and I think I was still we were still in the time period where it was very buggy, and I just I couldn't quite grok that. So. Uh, I didn't play it, but I'm interested to revisit it after this game because it's definitely sort of piqued my interest in games that explore this time period more. Um, and, and I'm with you. Like, you're not going to get this type of, like, um, environment or, you know, world building, which is what this game is doing, despite its sort of crazy peripheral stuff. Um, you're not going to get that kind of world building with a an RTS or a multiplayer, you know, a, a large multiplayer game. Although I would argue... You should look into the um, Crusader Kings. If you know that that is the the game that does world building and like history building better than almost anything. I just that's a very hard series to get into because it's paradox. See the Stellaris podcast will have out at some point for that. I, f- I feel like that's right up uh, your alley and Josh's alley, and it loses me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. People do love that game, and I and I, w- I do want to give it a shot. Um, yeah, but yeah, this puts you right in there I, again. Just. That battlefield, I'm never gonna forget that as long as I'm playing games because I think that's gonna be like one of, one of the new levels games have to like live up to now. What was the battlefield level in this game? I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like this game does have really like striking environmental and historical storytelling, and it's stuff that they don't normally depict. Right? There's like you said, just mountains of corpses. There's uh, just st- <sighs> brutality that you don't often see depicted. Well, they shy they shy away from it, but they did not shy away from it at all in this game. And and I felt like it's almost doing it a, a disservice if you're going to show this period in history. This is what it this is what was happening. It was horrible. Like we're lucky that anything continued past this point. For, um, and and I, I think to to nerf it down would have done a disservice. So I'm glad that they didn't. And it was super impactful. 
you know, based on all the historical documents that people can read to to use as source material for this, it, it you know, it, it tracks, basically, except for the alchemy. Um, but, you know, if you think about it... I mean, people it, believed in that. <laughs> it obviously didn't work, but they all thought it was at the sure. time. <laughs> they thought all kinds of dumb shit, again. Fair, fair. Um, but to, to your point, like, you could make a game on this scale of, like, gruesomeness and brutality about World War One and or two, but we still have people living that participated in those although you know for world war one at least that is continuously less so almost entirely less so at this point but you know i think that's still too soon for this level of depiction but you know in years in years to come maybe we'll see so with that why don't we sum up our thoughts on a plague tale innocence with a three-word review My three-word review is Sling into Action. Uh, It's a startlingly brutal depiction of its time. A Plague Tale Innocent starts off with the player being completely disempowered, no way to take on the horde of Inquisition knights, or even less of a way to take on the horde of rats devouring your homeland. Over the course of the game, Amicia, your protagonist, makes friends, learns techniques for survival, and then swings, or should I say slings, into action. At this point, the game goes from being a stealth game to being a stealth action game, and this was crystallized for me in Chapter 6 with the escape from the military camp. Overall, I think the game handles the swings and tones really well, and the ability to pivot into a mechanically innovative stealth action game made the experience really enjoyable for me. Uh, Likewise, the game's ability to swing from really dark, bleak tones into bright moments of hope stuck out as a triumph, cementing the game's emotional core. It's a huge thumbs up for me, very underrated game of 2019, and I think this is likely due to folks' inability to explain the game. Uh, So play this game. Check it out. My three-word review was Beauty and Bleakness. So this game is set in perhaps one of the darkest periods of human history, a time where nearly 60% of the population in Europe died in a horrible plague. And if that wasn't enough, all the infighting between countries and the church-sponsored torture and killing left literal mountains of bodies of those that were left. And rather than shying away from any of that grim reality, Plague Tale dives in headfirst, highlighting the hopelessness and immense sadness of the period. However, in the face of all this, the story is about being able to overcome these hardships and struggles and how, if we look out for one another, we're never truly alone, and no matter how horrible the circumstance, finding beauty in the ties that come from family and friendship and how those bonds can help overcome any adversity is kind of what this game is all about. So I don't, I know I didn't know what to expect when I started playing this game and all I can say is that I'm glad I didn't overlook it. Um, Its story is sweet and heartfelt if not gut-wrenching and the gameplay was strong and lasted just long enough to get its point across without overstaying its welcome. So if you're looking for a solid story-focused game that will make you feel something, this is definitely worth your time. Big thumbs up for me. Totally agree. I think it's worth mentioning too that um, it's short and it's well checkpointed. Like you're never going to be set back a long way. Um, So this is like a pretty accessible game for some pretty, you know, dark and yet hopeful content. Um, sounds like a, a pixelated Playgrounds recommends for me. Um, for sure. Yeah. Well, with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share it with folks you think might have enjoyed it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming.
Did we talk about the puzzle aspects of this game at all? This was mostly stealth and puzzle, and I feel like we talked about stealth and then how that turned into action. <laughs> we almost never talked about puzzles. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of like interesting puzzles that they do in this game, not only with like single-use items like throw the pot over here to distract the, the character so you can sneak, but then also like the things they do with light mechanics were very interesting. Yeah, the light mechanics and the rats. And especially, um, I'm thinking, I mean, they did this on a small scale a lot of times, but you were talking about the base. Rem remember, like, the 40 minutes that you were, like, filtering the rats around with the light trying to get here, <laughs> and then you got to move there, and then, like, it was like a whole thing, and then you finally, you know, shove them all off in the ditch, which yeah. bites you in the ass later, but whatever. <laughs> they did a really interesting thing with the rats where they almost behaved like fluid mechanics and they could do like water level things with them, right? Like you have to yep. manipulate the rats around the environment because they only flowed where the light wasn't and they would always flow towards corpses or, you know, away from light and that would allow you to manipulate them in really interesting ways. I think they also did this a little bit to a lesser extent with fire. Um, you could use fire to, you know, catch certain areas of the map on fire, direct the rats using that fire. And when they put all of this together, it gave a pretty like full play space for um, puzzle making, basically. Yeah. And I, I liked how they turned the rats from like a horror element at the beginning where you're like up close and all you have is a torch to hold them at bay to where you're using them on a grander scale. They're a tool know. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool evolution. And again, this whole game is about evolution. It's about... Uh, the growth. evolution of, of evolution and growth of, of your relationships, of your of your uh, your worldview, your ability to deal with problems. Yeah, yeah, all that. Your verbs, the things you can use to impose your will upon the world. Yeah, it was all about growing and the escalation of force that you know you're kind of that's forced on you as you're confronting an increasingly hostile world. You know what I wanted to mention? Um, the actor, the voice acting in this game. You know, obviously we're talking about these stories and these characters like being really well done. And we didn't mention the fact that like this game is fully voice acted. You know, you, you probably intuited that from the fact that it's a triple A game. But the two actors of Hugo and Amicia, um, Logan Hannon and Charlotte McBurney, respectively, did a excellent job. And I feel like it, this game wouldn't have been successful if they did not like have solid voice actors in those roles agree yeah they did an amazing job almost i think the best thing you can say about a voice actor is when you never think about the fact that it's being acted mm -hmm. uh and i never did and and the fact that these are both kids i mean obviously one's a teenager but one hugo's just a little kid man yeah and, very young kid <laughs> yeah and who's obviously never experienced the trauma that this character has gone through and yet they still found a way to to uh I don't know, make make you feel all those things for that character, make you feel like they've been through all those horrors and terrors. Like, I don't know. He did a, They did an excellent job. They totally did. And, you know, that's not to say there isn't, like, moments, as there are in any video game, where the dialogue is a little stiff. Like, there's there's moments where it lands and others where it doesn't. But, like, all the, like, all the heartfelt moments, I feel like they do better than, like, the barks and the, the high action scenes. Like, um, Hugo giving Amicia flowers works really well. Uh, awkwardly paced back and forth dialogue that's sort of more incidental you know that's probably more of a function of the system than it is of the voice actors but sometimes it doesn't work yeah i think it's interesting that you call this a triple a title i would not have classified this as triple a maybe double a 
Hmm. But, but like, I thought those went extinct. <laughs> yeah, no, still got to use those things. Uh, no, I mean, th- this was, I feel like, a step in between. This isn't, I wouldn't have called it a triple A title, but I wouldn't have called it an indie title either. It's like right in, in between. And I think it did an amazing job for the size of the studio that it has. Obviously, we talked about how Asobo has come from small, and obviously, they just did a Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's a huge freaking thing. But, yeah. I feel like this was this was clearly the step in between, and yeah. they did an amazing job. I, I hope they get more to work with because if this is what they do with a with with a smaller team, I can't wait to see what they come up with with a huge team. So yeah, it, it was really heartening to me that like when they made this game, which is ostensibly the kickoff for like a large what is now I'd imagine, despite the past, going to be AAA franchise. Yep. Um, it, it heartens me to see that like they're pulling from like brothers a tale of two sons right you know an indie game that um focuses much more on like the emotional impact of its mechanics than it does on you know flashiness so to speak and and good for them because honestly i play a shitload of games as do you and i'm gonna forget the games that had like the cool flashy set pieces but i do not forget everywhere yeah right but i don't forget the games that had like an emotional impact and this this game focused on that rather than the other i mean it had them both but it really made sure it nailed the emotional part first. 